white women and white collar and creative industries. Please situate yourself in the power structures that you are in. You are not just an individual operating in a chaotic cosmos all by yourself. You are part of a power structure. And in the same way that you as an individual are not responsible for fixing every form of oppression you experience in the workplace and every bias you experience in the workplace, you are also not completely absolved of responsibility for your role in the power structures that currently exist. Welcome to Problem Performers, a podcast about professionals who challenge the status quo at work. I'm Rebecca Weaver, and yes, I too have been labeled a problem performer at least once or twice in my career. But looking back, I know where it is a badge of honor. In fact, all the most interesting people I know have earned this label at some point. In reality, these are the people who challenge their workplaces to be better and do better. I think we should all aspire to be problem performers in our work lives, because the only way to make real change is by shaking things up. So let's get started. So today I have two spectacular ladies with me, Jeannie Yandel and Eula Scott Bino, host of the podcast, Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. <laughs> I, yes, I have wanted to have them on Problem Performers for a long time. So this is a big day. And as I told them earlier, I even did my hair for them. Uh, you, if look you, great. you look great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. If you haven't discovered their podcast yet, it is truly a must listen for anybody who wants to battle sexism and racism in the workplace, which should be everyone, to be clear. Uh, Jeannie is a longtime public media journalist who cannot get rid of her Chicago accent, even though she's lived in Seattle for more than two decades. And Eula mm-hmm. Scott Bino is a full-time Black woman and mother and birth doula and ed- equity educator. Mm-hmm. And yes, Eula does rhyme with doula. Yeah. That was really clever of you. <laughs> no, for real. <laughs> for so real. You, it just happened that way. Collectively, Eula and Jeannie love Steven Universe, Harry Potter, but definitely not its author, and Dick's Drive-In. They disagree about whether to get tartar sauce for their fries. And I have to say, I vote no if you guys are looking for a tiebreaker. Oh, you just blew Eula's mind in not a good way. <laughs> I will say tartar sauce and fries are delicious, just not every time. <gasps> Sorry, Eula. Oh my God, I have to stop. I have to stop. I'm not trying to break up with you. This is like a terrible thing to say right now. I'm stopping. It's okay. I just am more emotional than people realize sometimes. It just oh, takes a buddy. second. <laughs> oh. Betrayal is really hard. Oh, buddy. <laughs> it's like... I had no idea what I was waiting into. It's like, you know... Oh. Just, you know. Okay. I'm sorry. It's should okay. I, there are people should I out revisit there right my now. vote? No, no. There are people out there who know I'm right. And, and that's all that matters. It's <laughs> true. Okay. <laughs> well, Dini and Yula, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need a moment? Do we need a moment for recovery? Jeannie knows I'm really sensitive. Like when something really knocks me over, it takes yes. me like a whole second. Oh, to I'm so and sorry. It's, <laughs> no, it's, but it's a weird trait of mine. But uh, also, um, you know, the things that mean the most to me hit me the most. And so yes. tartar sauce to me is like, how can you, how can you not? It is good. I just can't do it every time. It is good. It is. I know. I have to stop talking. It's like, I'm trying to walk back what just happened. But that's like talking. saying like, like to me, to me, that's like saying mochas with cream are good, but I just can't do it every time. But I also only get a mocha like once a week. <laughs> what? Okay, that's so a then, fair point. That is a so fair point. You only like like it to be good once every, a month or something. Okay, I guess. I I am so sorry for diving into something <laughs> so personal without having a clue. This no, is maybe a good. This is maybe a good metaphor for how we interact with our coworkers. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Like, beyond. Oh yeah, that's funny. Understand that, like an off-the-wall comment may hit somebody deep, like yep. tartar sauce. Yep. And your okay. stance on it. You know? yep. Exactly. Truly. Could hit deep. And I mean, I think, it, I think it usually hits more in the workplace with like, you know, where do you affiliate? Like, what is your stance on MAGA? You know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> for example, <laughs> yes. Did we just equate that? <laughs> we didn't, right? <laughs> or what's your stance on the Clintons? Oh my goodness. There you go. Like, there you honestly, go. There's our tie-in. Yep. 
Yep. Even something as simple as like, you know, what constitutes political and what constitutes not political. Absolutely. Absolutely. The we don't have political discourse within our workplace. Yep. Yeah. No. And this thing that was interesting. Sorry, I don't want to jump right into the film. Should we jump into the series? Do you want to go? Yeah. So I just as a little bit of a, a background for everybody, I have been wanting to like dive into a conversation about this series that's actually it's been out for a few months now. Um, but the American Crime Story impeachment series. Um, and it is about the Bill Clinton affair. I will refuse to refu- refer to it as the Monica Lewinsky affair. Um, right. Cause that was one of my big um, lessons that we have learned over the past year, few years. But anyway, so for those who don't know, American Crime Story impeachment is a narrative TV series and it retells the story of the Bill Clinton sex scandal in the late 90s. It's executive produced by Monica Lewinsky, which totally blew me away because it seemed like she is finally getting an opportunity to tell her own story. She finally gets a voice. And to refresh, Monica was an intern at the White House and eventually she and Bill Clinton had an affair. Um, At the time, Bill Clinton was also under investigation for sexual harassment of Paula Jones when... He was the governor of Arkansas. So um, Monica ended up telling her coworker, Linda Tripp, who she thought was a good friend about their relationship. Um, And then Linda Tripp recorded many conversations with Monica and ended up giving them to the FBI to aid the investigation. So, of course, massive media explosion. Um, Monica became the butt of every joke, um, every late night. Absolutely everything. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, it sounds like it basically ruined her life completely. Um, And Bill Clinton got to stay in office and basically paid no consequences at all. So my question for the two of you is in watching this show and revisiting this, did you have the same reaction I did? I don't know. What was your initial reaction? I mean, so my initial reaction was it felt... Um, kind of validating in a way, which is so weird because I was not personally involved, obviously, in this situation. But I think so much, I have so much respect for Monica Lewinsky. I follow her on social media now. I, um, you know, I've watched her TED Talk. I've watched her. She's also done a um, documentary called 15 Minutes of Shame. Mm. Have either of you guys seen it? It's really good. Um, but it's where she's, you know, coming out and talking about online bullying, um, and harassment and how it takes place and how things can go viral and just balloon out of nowhere. Um, but I just have so much respect for her being here, quite honestly, and saying like, I I now want to have control over telling my story. Yeah. I think that's really powerful for that she's able to step up and do that. I wanted to um, see that. I wanted to see how she would tell her own like dialogue for it. I told Jeannie this when um, years ago now, I was talking to my mom about Monica Lewinsky in some vein. And my mom was like, and I was saying uh, very much comparing her to the, to the Me Too movement, right? Mm-hmm. And conflating her with it. And I was saying, you know, the way Monica Lewinsky was done during, um, you know, her, what happened with her and Bill Clinton and my mom's thing made a point of saying, well, you look, I should say at the time, my mom's uh, would be 70. So, you know, she's of that generation that was even judging in the series, right? But my mom was like, Eula, this was a consensual affair. And I was like, no, it wasn't. This was a, a young woman and her, and her like higher boss. And, you know, to my mom's credit, she probably said something like along the like, you know, lines of, you know, let me, I should, maybe I should reinvestigate it with that new information of how you see it, you know, not being consensual just based on the power structure of it all. But, um, but it, it, when you watch the series, it does seem very consensual. Yeah. It seems very manipulative. Like he seems like a, like a terribly manipulative dude. And, um, and she seems like clearly fragile in a way because of her youth and her naivete. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are moments where it's like, what is going on here? Go the other way. <laughs> why are you doing that yeah your mom's gonna be mad at you she's not <laughs> mad at you oh okay <laughs> i want to tell her to run so many times i mean yeah. i think about it there you you literally cannot get i cannot think of 
a more stark power dynamic in the workplace than the president of the United States and an intern. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A literal intern. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah, it's like power dynamic on top of power dynamic, right? Because he's the president of the United States. He has decades of experience on her, right? Right. He's at this point, extremely well-versed in what like romance is supposed to look like and what the prince is supposed to do to win, you know, to win the unassuming princess, right? He chooses her. He makes her feel special. There's all of that stuff that happens too. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about this in a really long time. I had remembered, you know, I was, I mean, I was younger than Monica Lewinsky was when that was happening. Um, I think I was in middle school, but, um, you know, or maybe high school. I was in high school, but, um, school too. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I I mean, I, I could remember what what year was this? Uh, I mean, mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it broke in the mid nineties. So I guess at that point I had actually started college, but, um, uh, I, you know, I could remember some of the details of that story and sort of how he made her feel special Mm -hmm. and feeling that weird thing of you know having been raised that like part of the thing you're supposed to do as somebody who presents as a femme in this society is you're supposed to be chosen mm-hmm. you're supposed oh. to be chosen yeah. and i can remember being like wow he chose her i mean mm-hmm. at, like at that age like you know if if she was given any of the messaging i was given she thought she was like knocking it out of the park in terms of what society told her to do. Like she was chosen by the president. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. When you play the saxophone. (laughs) I mean, it does not get any better than that. No, I mean, people have said like he's incredibly charming in person and you can see that. Which uh, Clive Owen playing Bill Clinton, by the way. Totally oh, is that what that me. is? I couldn't figure yes. it out. <gasps> <the> makeup. <laughs> yes, it it's was. Clive Owen, he's so good. No, it was he's really that really good. Really good. Like he has the whole like cadence of his speech down so well. Um, but yeah, he's incredibly charming. You can see that. But you're right, Jeannie. I had not thought about the like being chosen. That yeah. is what we are groomed to. Like that is our goal, whether we recognize it or not. Like as young women. It is like, will you be chosen? And so all of the things, the how we look, how we present, you know, all of those things come down to like, yeah, will you be chosen by someone desirable? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's, it's a real, ugh, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yuck the, in a nutshell. The other yeah. thing. The other thing that really struck me as I was um, watching this again, because it's I, I had not necessarily thought about it in a while either. Um, and so revisiting kind of all of the details of the story and how it all came about. Um, you know, Yula, you were talking earlier about the whether it was consensual or not. And I read another interview with Monica Lewinsky. She's still very insistent that it was a consensual sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, And yet I talk to companies about this all the time, about the effects of power dynamics within the workplace and this question of if there are significant power dynamics at place, could it ever really be completely consensual? Mm -hmm. Like, is that really possible within a workplace? Um, And and that is something that I think a lot of um, folks in business that I work with don't necessarily think about. Mm. I also wonder too, though, like whether deciding that something, I understand that for legal reasons, like there are reasons to make sure like that to, to talk about whether something is consensual or not, but that's also not the biggest in my mind. Like that's, that's a detail that obscures (laughs) a lot of other stuff here, which is like, one of the people in this power dynamic, you know, can then like seriously hamstring the other person's future work prospects, reputation, like, you know, ability to make money. There's which we have to do because high capitalism, what's up? Like, you know, so that 
I understand why consent is a huge part of this conversation, but it shouldn't be the only part of the conversation, right? right? Like there is Absolutely. a reason why, like, you know, we didn't hear from Monica Lewinsky in forever. Yeah. Um, you know, like, was she able to get a job at no. that yeah. point? No, I mean, also, she's the one who was moved. She's yeah. the one, right? Um, and then, yeah, her job prospects, I mean, were trash for probably decades. Yeah. But you know, you know, it's interesting too, that the bullying, you know, the dogs. <laughs> but the what do bullying, your dogs think about the impeachment thing? You know, I know they're like, this is, you know, the issue here is the bullying. It's not whether, you're right. It's not whether or not you're consensual or not. Because the consensuality is, is, is besides the point of what's at stake, you know? For mm-hmm. her is everything. Yeah. For him, it's nothing. And when it boils down to it, even if she signed up for um, to be intimate with him, she didn't sign up to lose her entire life as a result of it, right? Right. And right. Um, I, I, I think, I think what's hard for me. <sighs> there's a lot of things that are hard for me, right? Because as a black woman, I have to make every single decision super consciously, right? And if I don't do it right, I could just fall off the planet Earth and, you know, be a, you know, a, a one of them and that's literally just taken and disappears or, you know, or other things that happen to black women in America. But um, Monica Lewinsky to me ha- did have choices. And mm-hmm. I think that she might not have consented to being bullied. Right. I think that's kind of what it goes down to me, too, is like, you know, how wild it is to be in this position where the whole world is um, meaner than it's ever been. It's not somebody at your school or somebody in a town where you can just move. It's a whole entire country is sitting in judgment of you. But I also would think that everybody with some sense at the time knew that she didn't deserve the amount of criticism she was receiving. You know, it was predominantly coming from men who were bullying her about her appearance, you know, versus like women who were going like she was terribly wrong. Like, I mean, I think most of them were going like she, like Bill Clinton's cute. I wouldn't have risked it for him. <laughs> I wouldn't have risked my whole right. life and my whole career for Bill Clinton. But like, if I was 22 and maybe, you know, had some low self-esteem around my appearance in the, in this time, day and age, and there's a chance for me to feel better about myself and get like a little high out of it because, because it's Bill Clinton, like, absolutely. But um, I think I would hope most people have some sense about it. And men don't, you know, men don't have an idea about how, uh, I shouldn't say men, all men, I don't know about all men, but I don't think that, you know, hashtag not all men, not Sorry. all men. But I don't think Jay Leno thinks like, oh, this this has something to do with her self-esteem. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, <laughs> no. I don't think he thinks like this has something to do with her psyche. And so as a result, I'm going to be conscious of her psyche. I, it's, I think they much more think like, you know, this is all about Bill Clinton. And from his perspective, you know, he was just using this young little girl. And every joke was about how easy she was to use, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That really makes me think. I mean, I haven't thought about this aspect of it either, but the notion of 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 sort of conventional beauty and the role that it played in this. I mean, and this is something, you know, this is something that, that has shown up in workplaces for, you know, for years, right. Forever is the, you know, like there was, you know, I remember like conversations about how unattractive Linda Tripp was, right. Yes. Um, Mm. You know, how overweight he was. John Goodman played Linda yes. Tripp and the SNL skits. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, that was right. That like, there's a reason for that. Right. Like, yeah. and there were, I mean, my God, like we could do a whole separate episode talking about the way the, the way that Hillary Clinton was ripped apart in the press for the way that she looked, the way Chelsea yeah. Clinton was ripped apart for, yes. the, for how she looked. And she was a, age you know, of an actual 12. child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Like, I can remember in the 90s, like, dudes calling girls that they thought were unattractive, Chelsea. (sighs) You know, Mm. I mean, that, I don't know, that piece of it that, you know, sort of self-esteem linked to how particularly men see you, right? Um, And the power that, the power that exists there, um, you know, that is also a real workplace issue. That is something that, you know, that is something that has existed for a long time in workplaces, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a long time either. Mm-hmm. But that was very much a play with this. Mm-hmm. Now I have to go back to bed. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice to see you both. Good night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see you later. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the questions that just keeps 
coming back to me is like, how did we get it so wrong for so long? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that you put it in the past tense. Um, right. That's maybe optimistic mm-hmm. to put it in past tense. Yeah. We were young. Not I mean, all of we us. We were young in the first place. And yeah. there were people who were older who did get it. Right. But they just probably didn't have the internet presence or power yeah. to say other things. And the structure has always been, you know, patriarchy, patriarchy, patriarchy. So, you know, we were all trapped in, in the matrix, the patrix. <laughs> yeah. Matrix. The patriarchics. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> and so, you know, we were just surviving it. I mean, to grow up under it. And then at least we're, we're taking the time to, I guess, look back a little bit and reflect. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, uh, the, the way forward is with, um, you know, combing through the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice that we're considering it, but you know, I think the series in a lot of ways didn't do do the justice it needed to do to have all the conversations it needed to have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think the series just opened up the can of worms to say like, you know, Monica was flirting and uh, Bill was, you know, took the bait and um, Hillary uh, stood by her man until she couldn't. And then it was too late. You know what I mean? Like what? Which is very different than, you know, um, a little girl with low self-esteem saw uh, like the, you know, the king of the land and she acted like a child in front of him. Mm-hmm. And then he acted like a child in front of her. Yep. And then uh, the only adult in the room was like, uh, I'm not going to put either of you on timeout. I'm, in my mind, Hillary's the adult. What? Is that it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Hillary was just like, I'm not going to, I'm going to ignore this. We're going to move on. Mm. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, have have we made any progress in the past 25 years? Well, um, you know, I was going to say, I feel like I, I'm not as involved in this because as, as a woman of color, I don't get to, to be like at the crosshairs of all of this really um, yeah. white interaction. So my thought is yep. like, I can't answer that. Jeannie, I cannot wait to hear your answer. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, I was like, are, are, have white women moved forward? Is there a step yeah. forward that they've been in where like, has, like where this won't, what? Oof. Eula. Um, I mean, <laughs> oh man. So when you were asking that, Eula, I immediately thought about how Linda Tripp is portrayed in this. And her, I mean, the many different ways that white women in this show and probably in reality too. I mean, I it's it, like, I have a vague memory of the coverage of this in the 90s. And then I have this show and I have the Slate podcast slow burn about this yes. as well. That's mm-hmm. like, those are the things I have here. Yeah. Um, but there are so many different white women who show up and say, I'm here to support other women or they accuse other white women of not supporting them in the workplace. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, no, I, I'm not. I. I you know, I, I don't know if, if we as white women have gotten any better because I think that we still use our whiteness to gain proximity to power in patriarchy. I think that we still weaponize the notion of supporting other women to our own advantage. Mm. Um, and I think we still will paint ourselves as the victim when it's advantageous. So, you know, I, I really, I don't know if we've, if we've learned anymore. I came into this thinking about the pattern of protecting the most powerful genius in the room, regardless of the poor behavior he's displayed in the workplace and the people he hurts. Right. Um, Joe Rogan is not the exact same situation here, but he's sort of the most recent Mm -hmm. example of this. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, uh, but I hadn't, you until you asked, thought specifically about white women and whether we've gotten any better. And I feel like the answer is probably no. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, I do, maybe this is the hopeful side of me, feel that there's more awareness, which I suppose, like it's not enough, but it's a start, I hope, um, that that it does feel like there's more awareness um, and more conversation about this. It's just not nearly enough and it's not (laughs) nearly enough places. And I feel like the past couple of years, 
um, it's sort of driven that out, at least for me as a white woman in some of my, you know, whether it's family circles or, um, you know, calling, calling family members out or in Mm -hmm. to have really important conversation. And there is still far too much like resistance to even having the conversation, Mm -hmm. let alone doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would also say as like a, in terms of, you know, I'm, I, this is like, my friend Phyllis Fletcher calls this anecdata, which is like what you hear from your friends. And then you say, well, this is, this, this represents a larger something, right? But um, <laughs> um, the anecdata that I have experienced about um, white women, like in terms of workplace structures, is that in large, in large part, we refuse to recognize the power dynamics at play. Um, whether, you know, whether it's because we're legitimately ignorant of it or there's something else happening there. But, you know, ignoring or refusing to recognize a power structure at play and our role in it, um, you know, and it was, Rebecca, you talking about family stuff, like, made me think of this, actually, like, because it, it you know, um, in the workplace, I feel like it's pretty similar. Like, um, it, refusing to acknowledge that and acting as though this is an individual situation uh, then allows us to talk about our own feelings and our own discomforts as more important than they actually are <laughs> uh, in terms of the, the harm that can actually be caused. Like Linda uh, Tripp when that dude committed suicide. Yes. How she was yes. like, this is about me. And it was like, what? Yeah. This, this dude, this dude was like a, a whole adult. Yes. He has yeah. a family. Like, yeah. <laughs> you think he did? Okay, his secretary? <laughs> This is yeah. your this is your storyline. This is yeah. Your she centered this herself again and again and again and again and again. Again and again <laughs> yes. and again. Yes. And yes. yes. It was weird. But you know, Jeannie, when you were talking to, I appreciate what both of you guys said, by the way. You know, uh made me think Linda Tripp of all the people in the story uh, is dead, you know? That's and true too. the way stress sits on your body and the way mm-hmm. that kind of like self-centeredness, what harm it does to us internally, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about what, ha- well, you know, what led to her early demise. But my point is the way her, um, her discomfort seemed to be within her skin, you mm. know, because like, I mean, sis was living large, right? Like, I, I, I thought trying to what luxury she had. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't see any reasons to be happy. I didn't see joy in her home. Right. But yeah. on the other hand, it's like she had everything there. She could have, she just didn't go for joy. She went for, you know, the other side of it. And yeah. yeah, and centered herself over and over and over again with that dude's suicide. That was wild. Yeah, yes. yeah. Also, as a as a you know a person who was, I think it happened in '96, right? Mm-hmm. Or was the second? No, '94, '95. So I might be 10, 11 when this is happening because I'm I'm born in '84. Mm-hmm. And so, um, also as watching the series and it's starting there with like some guy in office committing suicide during the you know Clinton the Clinton's uh, first what do you call it, term? I'm watching as a, like a political buff today going like, what? Right. This is huge. If this happened during like a Trump or like Obama era, a suicide would be gigantic. Yes. And so I, you know, I got why people have such weird mixed feelings around the Clintons and how Rush Limbaugh was coming into play at that time. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. So much, um, you know, so many little seeds were planted in this series that really speak to what, how we interact with uh, government today, you know? For yeah. sure. Well, and I think too about um, it felt like a little peak where they have Ann Coulter, um, you know, and the, uh, how much orchestration yes. there is um, yes. for some of what happens politically as well. Um, that was really, really eye opening to me. That was definitely something I was not old enough to like really hone in on at, yeah. at the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, it, it was. It's really nice to see that stamp in time because it was a, just a historic time, and it's nice to have a little bit of a more of a glimpse into it. Um, but you know, you hope that in the next ten years, if we ever really look back on it, we look back on it with, you know, l- less rosy lenses even then, and really look at who the characters were. In their I mean, lives. yeah, yeah, I do. It's that that is. It's like there has never really been accountability for, um, you know, for the that 
these gargantuan power struggles that occurred, you know, and they're like, (laughs) I mean, what the hell does accountability even look like? I mean, the thing that kind of, one of the other things that struck me with this, it was like how many of these people would argue um, that essentially uh, they are they are mission driven, right? Like they're doing this because of their patriotism, uh, whatever sort of piece, except for probably Matt Drudge. But like, um, you know, like the every like every single pe- person here is is making an argument about like I have a vision for what my country should be. I think that that you know, and I'm fighting for that, right? And so I'm I'm fight like ended up like at a much where the stakes are much, much, much lower. I do think that there is there is there is something in common there with the people that you meet in some workplaces who talk about caring very deeply about the mission of the place where they work, right? Caring caring very deeply for, you know, what the work what that workplace exists to do. Um you know, as though that excuses <laughs> some of these other things, like, oh, I just care so much, um, you know, at at a much lower stakes, like don't have nuclear weapons level. I feel like I have seen that. That happens a lot in public media. People will sing the missions, you know, the praises of the mission of public media all the live long day, as though that excuses a lot of the things that Yo, we've gotten wrong Joe over Rogan. the years. You know what's Dude, a trip with Joe Rogan right now is just nine hundred million. This, this, how much is he getting paid? He gets paid a hundred million. Hundred million. Hundred million dollar contract. And, and how the and <laughs> sorry, first let's laugh at how much money that is. Right. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> right. Ridiculous. That's a stupid amount of money. That's just a stupid amount of money to give a single man um, <laughs> for a podcast. Okay, hold on. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> well, and then Spotify says, "No, we're not a publishing platform." But okay, but <laughs> that that is very funny. That is very funny. What you just said is very funny, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Our planet and the way they like to run jokes by us is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but what I was going to say is that the idea that he's going to, that they're saying like Spotify is like, we're going to let, keep playing, paying Joe Rogan. We don't want to like blow our money on that. But we'll put another hundred million dollars into, because his ads bring in so much money that we'll put a hundred million dollars into people of color counteracting his voice. Right. <laughs> Is like, right. what are you talking about? Are you going to give it to us now? Like, are you literally just going to like comb through your uh, every podcast that you have and just give people, cut people a check? Are you going to uh, create more campaigning ads for those companies to be able to make $100 million revenue per year just like him? Because right. if we're talking about bringing me money, then bring me some money. But don't just spread it wide and clear yes. out there to the next plantation that you're building. <laughs> yeah. And then and then be wondering why we're all so confused why we don't get to be in the big house. Well, because you only got 30,000 of that. I only got 30,000 of Joe Rogan's $100 million settlement. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it so ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. ridiculous on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but it's so true. People just want to, these, you know, these big powerhouses just want to push it all away. And companies um, don't realize how often they are the bad guy in situations because of how much they're looking for to um, create their mission of freedom of speech and mm. in doing so, yeah. letting somebody, you know, use the N-word all day long, right. tell people that vaccines aren't killing people and, um, oh, and all the other misogynistic things that happen out there. So it's yeah. a wild thing. And it also the way it, oh. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just Rush Limbaugh 2022. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, I, I mean, so this may take us down a rabbit hole and apologies if it does, but like, I have to say it because I just saw a clip of Joe Rogan interviewing um, a public health official. His name is Michael Osterholm. Um, He's become incredibly well known. Um, He's a, he's an expert on infectious diseases. And this was dated like 2020, I believe. And so he's interviewing him on the podcast and they're talking about um, vaccines and they're coming, right? So it was that time where they hadn't been quite um, released just yet, but they're coming and blah, blah, blah. And Joe Rogan is saying, I just wish that everybody knew um, how, what a um, miracle breakthrough vaccines are and what they've done for our country and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just like so pro-vaccine, not even two years ago. 
And so, like the grift, the, the just. <laughs> yeah, everyone was though. Everyone was on timeout for so long. They wanted anything. And then when timeout didn't require you to get a vaccine, like when you could come back into the game without getting a vaccine and people realized it and they got freaked out. They got freaked out. This government's been so wobbly for so long. Nobody yeah. trusted to stand up. Mm, yeah. But, you know, I trust science and scientists. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. I trust yeah. educated people who have gone to school way longer than me to study one single thing. Yeah, absolutely. I want to point out too, like, I, you let that, you know, that, that line you drew, like Rush Limbaugh, Joe Rogan line. Okay, the Rush Limbaugh to Joe Rogan line is there is still this piece of like, of, and it's, you know, largely white, cisgender, straight dudes who are like, um, or at least straight appearing dudes who are like, you know, I'm just here to ask the question. It's just important that somebody ask the question, which is a wonder, another example of like not taking responsibility for power dynamics that are at play and your role in them and pretending that you as an individual are the most important thing here. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's really something. Mm-hmm. We have so many examples of this. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like as white women, we've had plenty of time to say, that is a garbage example. I'm going to go ahead and try something different. We haven't really done that yet, all as a group, ladies. No, no. But, you know, um, Kavanaugh's on the really, Supreme Court. That's really another example exactly. of being like, we just have to ask the question. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And it's truly, really, 100%edly not. Like, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. like, totally false expectation of the both sides argument. Like, no, both sides do not need or get equal airtime. Well, mm-hmm. and the magical thing about the both sides argument is somebody, you know, like who, I mean, part of my job is to edit stories and ask like, what's the tension? What are the stakes? Like a very easy way to manufacture tension and stakes is to just come up with something on the opposite side of what's happening and then say that we need to hear both sides of it mm-hmm. as though they're equal. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Both mm-hmm. merit time and consideration. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, for Pete's sake, did we not learn from climate change? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, right. yeah. no, I mean, the no, no, we know we have no. not. No, yeah. But what's the guy's name, too, who's running the whole anti Hillary like court case? What's the one who's like, he's the he's still in Ken Starr? Oh, oh yeah, well, Ken Starr is completely that in this, right? We have to yeah. figure out all the details, we need to know everything. Well, it's just that they had a relationship. Well, give me more, give me yeah. more, give me enough that I'm able to make something of something. And it's, um, it's yeah, it's just too much, it's too much. Mm. I don't know. I hope we can make some steps forward. I feel like there are so many women-owned businesses in this future that it's really beautiful. And I think of white women-owned businesses as well. You know, when I think of that, I think of I include white folks in that. And I also think of there are so many more white women who are in positions of power, even if they don't use their power adequately, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I think that when we're looking back at that, at the time of the series, um, Ann Coulter is really the only woman besides Hillary that like you really like, yeah. oh, these people are like game players. And yeah. now I think, well, there are more women who, you know, have voices in media, have voices in politics, have voices in um, all these different spaces. I just do think that we're still focused on the wrong thing completely in most workplaces and most, uh, you know, in the government, in government, yep. because we're focused often on profit, profit, profit and versus, you know, taking care of the whole person. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, there is definitely incentive to paying attention to where the power is and trying to align yourself with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because because Monica definitely thought she was going to get a better job out of it. You know what I mean? Like, weirdly, she was like, this is going to work out for me in the job world. Like, in my head, where, again, I would never. I would be like, listen, I got to get another job. This is trying to ruin my career. <laughs> trying to take me down. He, he, I can't do it. He's about to get me fired. I'm about to get murdered out here. Murdered. I'm going to disappear. Like, I would be thinking House of Cards was about to happen. <laughs> well, it's too bad that it was not available at that time. Right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, so much of that feels like now it's based on the Clintons. Like, so much of that energy feels like it's based around how the Clintons felt like they could manipulate and move around everything. But then again, politics and new, the news media move so differently then mm-hmm. without the internet that it was probably so easy to manipulate. 
if you're like a good looking white man, like you can mm-hmm. get the media to do anything you wanted to do. Yep. Oh my gosh. And then we got Trump. Okay. <laughs> I get what's happening. It's all connected. We just gotta, <laughs> how's Chelsea doing in all of this? Like, is there, She's- is there an origin story there? She seems to be doing relatively well these days, at least all all indications. But she's another one who um, I think has figured out how to how to push back, um, you know, on a lot of the criticism that she got and um, totally unfairly as a child. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, So I could talk about this for ages with you guys. But I wanted to I wanted to ask a couple more questions. Um, you both have such amazing perspective on how power in our culture functions um, and how it affects the workplace. Um, but I want to talk for just a minute about um, you and your work lives, if you don't mind. Um, so I named this podcast Problem Performers as I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number one, all the most interesting people I know have been labeled a problem performer. Um mm-hmm most of them multiple times. Um, and number two, because I want to really flip that. I mean, we use that term problem performer. Monica Lewinsky labeled a problem performer, right? It's what one of the tactics that's used to push people out um, when they've become a problem or when they're speaking up or what have you. So I would love to ask, like, if if either of you have stories to tell about having been labeled a problem performer yourself. <laughs> Yeah, plenty of times. I mean, plenty of times. You know, I think most workplaces have lots of kinks in them. And I'm one of those people that goes in and when I see the kinks, I really want to fix them. Mm. You know, some people don't. Some people get a job and they're like, this place is really messed up. I can just disappear. I can be that, you know, those memes where, um, you know, I don't do anything at work all day. Have you seen those videos where people are joking about how they're literally at work sleeping? I am the complete opposite. I came here to work. And I want to see exactly what the flaws are. I want to figure out where the injustices are. I want to figure out if we're doing the right thing. And ideally, the job is for the community. I don't. I really didn't know that there were jobs outside of like community service jobs until I was, you know, I guess a really, really grown up. Like, you know what I mean? I probably was in my real, like in my 30s before I was like, you can get jobs where you just like create stuff. Like you could just, you can get a job where you just make like, like taco stands. Mm-hmm. Those things that hold tacos. Like that's like career. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know you could come up with stuff like that. I thought that you had to think of something that was going to help someone abolish a problem. And so um, it's been interesting kind of realizing that for a lot of people, it's it's just that. But for me, oh, I've been written up a million times. My favorite story, and Jeannie's heard this, I believe, is um, (laughs) when I was fired from Starbucks for being racist. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I worked at Starbucks really close to my house and it was a good job. And in the sense that, I really liked it and my coworkers and my uh, regulars, I think it was, it's a good base. And then there was, uh, Ooh, this is funny to say it like this. There was a Linda trip energy that came into the job. This older white woman came on who um, had just uh, gone through a divorce and she uh, had never worked before and in the divorce now had to work. And she was coming from an Island daily I don't know. I don't remember which island she was coming from, but she had to take a ferry to then take a bus to then arrive in like a gentrifying neighborhood, like literally kitty corner to like one of the largest crack corners in like in Seattle. Right. So she's dealing with all of this change in her life as I'm just sitting there like 2021 20, selling coffee. And um, and there was this guy that came in one day and he was talking about how the corner kitty corner to us was getting um, more attention and as it was getting bought out and remodeled, you know, there's a big, you know, uh, complex there now, housing complex there now, but um, apartment complex, I guess people would say. But um, at the time, it's still like, you know, crack central. And so he's saying like, I'm so excited that things are changing and like we're getting, it's a get, get cleaner, blah, 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 blah. And, I, and my response was just like, it's, we've always wanted it to be that way. Mm. We, we just didn't get the responses we asked for. People would call for help. The police just might not come. We would ask for change or just what it just wouldn't be opportunities, you know, and these people aren't getting uh, cleaned up. They're just getting moved out. Right. And so I just made that point pretty casually to me. <laughs> but this woman was working with me and just was waiting for the moment that I would say something to like, you know, that to her was insult was was like completely insulting. And now as like a, you know, as a complete adult, I totally see like 
all of it. Do you know what I mean? I see her super insecure, hiding in the corner the entire, like every shift. I see her un, like unversed with like conversation with random people, period, because she's been boxing to, you know, white woman structure forever. She was super petite, you guys. Like she was probably like five, one, five, two. Mm-hmm. All that stuff matters with like how you present in this world. Mm-hmm. So like in me having this conversation with this person that to me is like, dinner table talk <laughs> yeah yeah right to her is like what the fuck this woman's talking a revolution and you know and she's making it seem like we're wrong for wanting to do better and so when I got let go I just kind of you know I just took it as what it is but I've been fired for other stuff you know I didn't um um but in that situation I feel like she learned what she needed to get out of it and I learned a lot as well like I learned mm-hmm. how I needed to like what this workplace is for women of color. I learned like, yeah. you know, the last thing you want to do is like trip on a trip, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. It absolutely infuriates me to no end that we act like being labeled a racist is worse than the actual racist act itself. Like, so when we call out, <laughs> very fairly call out what is actually happening in the world and but we white people love to act like being labeled a racist and oh my goodness, that's like the absolute worst thing you could do is label me that. Mm-hmm. And that that is so much worse than the actual act itself. Mm-hmm. But also it's like, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a gaslighting situation too. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's like, it's like, if it, it's like, if somebody walks into a space and says like, this space kind of smells bad. And somebody goes like, why would you say that? You need to get out of here. You know, it's like, no, I think I came here to tell you that there's something that doesn't smell bad in here. Like, I, like the, you know, the, the problem starter, the person that you, you know, that's making the most problems in the situation is the person who's just pointing out the, the issue. And um, I think that the hard part is most people don't know if they're the person passing gas or not. Mm. You know what I mean? So they're literally going, yeah. like, I don't want anybody to call me out because I've been a few days since I showered. And it's like, but we could all just take a shower. Like, we don't have to, like, be, like, have a contest of who's the worst person in the room. We can just all get a fresh start. Jeannie, mm. how about you? Have you been labeled a problem performer? Boy, if I have, I don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's told me to my face. And I think I... And I don't know if it's held me back, which means, you know... I And the other thing that occurred to me is that if I didn't look the way I looked like, you know, pretty like fairly unassuming looking white lady with glasses probably wouldn't get away with some of the stuff that I have gotten away with Mm -hmm. just to be really honest. Right. Um, you know, I don't, yeah. So that's, I mean, I think part of being labeled a problem performer, it's as much about the person giving you the label as it is about you and your actual performance. Um, You know, and for whatever reason, I, you know, perhaps I've been labeled that behind my back, you know, um, because that's the other piece of it, right? Is like, um, you assume that you're going to get this feedback directly to your face. um, But part of the, part of the weirdness of workplace power structures is that, your boss or someone with more power than you can talk about you to someone else. Yep. And that can be just as damaging as sort of having something on, uh, on, a, on a permanent record or part of your annual review or the reason you were let go of whatever or whatever that is. So, yeah. um, you know, nothing has, has ever been said directly to me, um, you know, and so it, it's, it's weird to not be able to have an answer for that. But I also yeah. feel like, I probably get to get away with stuff because I, I look like somebody's mom. Totally. Seriously. I think that's totally right. <laughs> I would say, is, and you don't look like this woman to me, but like if somebody, you know, is like, I don't want to Google her face right now. I would say like, you know, the woman who mm, in WandaVision worked for the, <laughs> <laughs> worked for the FBI as a tech person. That's what Jeannie gives off. She's also used to be on like CSI or something like that. I'm trying to remember which one you're talking about. She has glasses. You know, the white lady with glasses. Damn it, I can't remember. I've watched it like five times, but I can't remember. The one who's, she's helping the Megan is woman. saying in the comments, Dottie? Is that her name? 
I can't yeah, remember. I think man. you're probably right, Megan. Okay. So okay, I'm have to Google it now. she goes in. She goes in with him when she's on when he's in the uh, in the carnival. Wait a minute, the one who was also in Thor, like she's really young. Yeah, and she's like she's like a techie guy. That's yeah. super nice, man. <laughs> she's super smart. Thank you. Well, yeah, I would say, but you know what? My next thought was like the you were would you, everything you said. I was like, yeah, because Jeannie gives off like smart techie person that's going to get the job done, right? So you you give <gasps> yeah, her the work, sure. she's going to get it done. No matter what, like I'm saying, just your presentation, Gene. Like your presentation to get the work done, whether or not you can get it done or not, I, that's beyond the point. And then, because and my presentation is like, I'm here to start some shit. No matter what, <laughs> if if I, you know, when my hair is straight, it's a different energy, right? Because I can put on different drag. But this drag today is my my everyday drag is much more like I'm here to um to like encompass some uh, fire in this space. But but then the flip of that is I could totally see what you said too about people not saying things to your face mm. because. I think when you, you ruffle people's feathers with your, with how um, visionary you are. Does that make sense? And I think that like, sometimes it's kind of annoying when someone has a really good vision and does really good work, but you just didn't want to go there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think that that's the scales often with you of like, like even that woman in Dottie and WandaVision is like, Dottie has an idea of what we, everybody needs to be doing. And eventually she has to like, literally like leave the main team and go off and do her own thing because she's going, they're going like, listen, she's going to do the work. Keep her on. <laughs> Just go <laughs> give her, give her own room to work in. She's going to go interrogate these videos by herself. Oh God, she's figured it all out. Now she wants us to like, to lead her, us. Ugh. We haven't even told her what this job is for real. Like we're trying to scam, you know, a, a new Android out of this whole thing. And yeah, yeah. They have to be behind the scenes conversations about you about how good you are and how much they have to keep you in the dark. Oh my gosh. Ooh, you've come like full circle multiple times on this. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I do have to say, like I was trying to figure out who you're talking about and I Googled WandaVision, but the first thing that came up says is WandaVision's secret FBI propaganda. I feel like that's a whole other rabbit hole we might need to go down Whoa. at some point. <laughs> we may need the to. The FBI really, they're not like a real like body of people that I care about. Maybe know, our next episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So this has been amazing, ladies. I do want to ask you, I know with your episodes, you will frequently like wrap it up because it is the battle tactics for your sexist workplace. Are there a couple of tactics that your guests have shared that really stand out for you for the workplace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I think about tactics for Monica. Mm. And I think like, oh, one, Monica needed to disclose her relationship way earlier, way earlier. The minute it became intimate, she should have told somebody and written down and left it at that. I think, ugh, I just wish HR was all over this so much sooner. I wish the one woman who was a receptionist, the black woman receptionist would have gone to HR sooner to say of how mm-hmm. the little things she became aware of. Yep. Mm, I would say a tactic is don't become intimate with an employee with, within the workplace at all. I, you know, yeah. for me, it's, I would never be intimate with someone in the workplace with like a period behind it. To me, it's a, um, it's a separate space. And if I really found someone that uh, uh, calling, I think I would um, get out of the job first yeah. before I cross that boundary, just because I wouldn't want to um, it to affect my career. And I think it yeah. does. I think that that's the main yep. reason for me. And um, I think any other tactics I would have, I would say for Linda, oh, yoga. Yoga. <laughs> And a therapist. Oh, yeah. Find a life outside of work. Right? Seriously. Yes. And, a, and a therapist. I would say, yo, I would start with yoga and a therapist. And I would uh, pray that by the end, she was like a regular skier. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think one of the things that I heard at the very beginning of making battle tactics, which wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a tactic, but it became something that, Eula and I talk about in every episode, like, and it's part of like, like, it's part of how we think about episodes now is something that um, Ruchika Tulshian said to me when I called her to ask to be, to be on our very first show about gender pay gaps and how to negotiate a better, better salary for yourself. And she was like, so I'm really hesitant to do this because the thing that I don't want to convey 
is that it is up to an individual who is already facing multiple intersections of different kinds of oppression to fix their own problems in the workplace. And I was like, wow. I mean, Mm -hmm. that like lodged itself in my brain. And I like, that's, you know, if I were to turn that into a tactic, it would be the thing that I've already said a bunch of times, which is like, you know, particularly, I mean, if I think about the audience for battle tactics, I'm, I'm not sure what the audience is for problem performers is. But, you know, at least before we went independent, our audience was largely white women who worked in white collar and creative industries. Um, Please look at, please situate yourself in the power structures that you are in. Um, And what you are, you are not just an individual, like operating in a chaotic cosmos all by yourself. Like you are part of a power structure. Um, And in the same way that you as an individual are not responsible for fixing every form of oppression you experience in the workplace um, and every bias you experience in the workplace, you are also not completely absolved of responsibility for your role in the power structures that currently exist. Right, right. So that's my... It doesn't fit on a pillow if I were to try and embroider it, but that's my tactic. I love it. I feel like it's really low-key just like unionize, unionize, unionize. Look... (laughs) We don't, we're not allowed to say on a pillow. We're not allowed to say because we want to live long lives. We're trying to be great, great grandparents. And we're not trying to go down at the hands of the FBI just because we said union, union, union. That's right. <laughs> That's right. What if Wanda was anti-union propaganda? Ooh, I just blew my own mind. I don't know. The Avengers are a union. Ah! That's a really good point. It's a union run by like Steve Jobs though. You know, like Tony Stark is basically... Look, I know we're going way off topic here. We could spend a long time <laughs> talking that. about this. So... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Tony's dead. Yeah. It's like, imagine if Bill Gates started a union. That's what the Avengers are. But now yeah. Tony's dead, Jeannie. <laughs> it's about to get hella black. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. It's about to get brown. It's about to reflect our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if the X-Men come into play, it's about to get very woman. I've been thinking about that a lot, yeah. actually. I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Rebecca, you got to promise us if X-Men like comes back full force or if they make like another Marvel movie for Miss Marvel, you got you have us back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Done. Well, and there's going to be a series. There's going to be doing a series on um, the Miss Marvel comic book. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Would love to talk about that. Yep. For sure. Book it. It's done. Nice. Yay. Ladies, thank you so, so, so much. Um, one last thing. Um, I have told people we will absolutely link to your podcast in the notes, but where can people find you if they want to connect with you online? Uh, my Instagram is Eula Lorene. Uh, Lorene is L-U-R-E-N-E. I should spell Eula too. Eula is E-U-L-A. <laughs> uh, so E-U-L-A, L-U-R-E-N-E is my Instagram. It's uh, my uh, Twitter is Eula Scott Bino. Uh, Bino is B-Y-N-O-E. So Eula Scott Bino on Twitter, I, you know, engage with them as much as a person should slash shouldn't. Hardly ever because you're smart. Yes. Way too much on Instagram. Mm. I'm not going to judge you for that. You have, you have, you have, you have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful son who I need to see pictures of all the time. So just, you have to stay on Instagram for that reason. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BTSW Podcast. And I am on Twitter at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-I-E, Yandel, Y-A-N-D-E-L. Uh, I tweet a lot about TV shows because that's basically all I do in my free time is watch TV. All right, ladies. Again, I can't thank you enough for this whole conversation. And I do have to wrap it up and say, I am sincerely sorry for where I started this whole conversation (laughs) by just hitting at a very sensitive topic. I had no idea was so sensitive. So I am sincerely, I am sincerely sorry for that. It's okay. You'll make it up to me. We'll all go out. We will get tartar together when we're together. (gasps) And I'll just act like I, I, you know. Like it never happened. happened. Yep. Okay. I I appreciate that. They're they're non-tartar people when we're not together. When we're together, you know, when in Rome is how they say, how they put it. And they respect that this is, you know, this, I'm from Seattle. I'm from here. You people are imported. 
And you guys just making <laughs> random decisions. You non-starter people. No, for real. Okay. It's, just, it's not fair. To it's have very generous. Have, yeah, it just, it just seems like it's like going to Chicago and talking about your hot dogs. Like, do I have a, do I have a right? Jeannie, do I have a right to talk about your hot dogs? Are your hot dogs good? Are they even good? Do you have to put salsa I mean, on I them? I think they are. Oh, they yeah, put salsa like, on them? Salsa? salsa? Salsa. Get the hell out of here. We don't put salsa on our hot dogs. What no. do you put on your hot dog? You put grainy mustard and you put sport peppers and you put onions and you never put ketchup. And celery oh, salt. They're really good. And celery salt, but never ketchup? Oh, okay. <laughs> ketchup? <laughs> Now you just, you're just trying. Now this is just, this is the tartar <laughs> anger coming out here. I know what this is. It is. It's That's justified. It's justified. <laughs> All right. Ladies, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very All much, right, Rebecca. <laughs> Bye, Jeannie. Love you lots. Bye, y'all. Love you too. Bye. Problem Performers is a production of HR Uprise Media, part of an organization built around a single question. What if you could have HR that works for you rather than your boss? Well, now you can with your own HR Uprise coach. Get affordable, confidential advice from an experienced HR pro who works only for you. Learn more at hruprise.com. And hey, employers, we've got you covered too. HR Uprise provides independent investigations, harassment prevention training, private employee coaching, and much more. Email us at hello at hruprice.com or visit our page at hruprice.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.